0: Hello, and welcome back to the Chris Yeh Podcast. I am, as always, Chris Yeh. I am joined today by my recurring special guest, Scott Johnson of Blitzscaling Ventures for another edition of Examining the Blitz Scalability of Venture Deals, this time for November 2020. Welcome back, Scott. Great to be here, as always, Chris. All right, well, let's just go ahead and dive in. What are we going to be talking about today? Well, there are a couple companies that we want
1: to talk about that have gone public. Uh, Airbnb and DoorDash both went public to great fanfare. And we have points of view on where those companies might be headed that we wanted to share. And for November deals in the private world, we have Anchor Store. That's Anchor, A-N-K-O-R-S-T-O-R-E. And Index Ventures did this deal. so we're going to talk about that it's uh, there's a company called fitter f i t t r and this is a company in India that we think is pretty interesting in the fitness world and then push party of course we heard about push party super exciting deal that we want to cover and strava strava's been around a long time much later stage company but we think this is one that uh, that we should cover because it's uh, it gets a pretty high score with us so let's start out with anchor store
0: Perfect. So Anchor Store is an online B2B marketplace that allows independent shop owners, specialist brands, retailers, and so on and so forth to buy wholesale from a fragmented supplier base. It takes this process, which is typically just a huge pain where people are not aware of where to go. They work typically with these big distributors, which cuts down on their margin and means that everyone has the same kinds of products. And Anchor Store disambiguates that, disintermediates that, makes it possible for you to shop for wholesale goods for your store just like you would on Amazon. And I got to admit, I really like this one. It's a deal from Index Ventures that recently did a twenty-five million dollars Series A.
1: Yeah, and you know the other way that you can get uh, get uh, <clears throat> your products sold is through Etsy, of course. And some people, you know, will try to sell their stuff one by one, drop shipping through Etsy. And that's a pain too because you know they, they're just dealing with uh, retail customers. You've got a customer service issue there. So this is sort of a, a perfect fit of you know we want a wholesale, but we're a small retailer, but we want to wholesale directly. And so I, I, I'm pretty excited about this. They really, um, I think they're really onto something. Index obviously does too, pushing a lot of money their way. So let's you know let's talk about that most important factor, Chris. Let's talk about winner take most. How do you think about that with Anchor Store?
0: Well, winner take most is very strong here. I gave it a 10 out of 10 because Anchor Store is a classic two sided marketplace. You're bringing in people who are the suppliers and then the wholesale buyers. So you got the classic buyers and sellers. You also have something which is present in Airbnb that really helps on the viral growth and distribution side, which is the fact that the buyers can become sellers and the sellers can become buyers. So it has a lot of those great marketplace characteristics. So we give it 10 out of 10 on winner take most. Now we didn't give it a 10 out of 10 on viral growth or distribution. That's primarily because these are fragmented marketplaces. It's not very easy to go ahead and find the suppliers. It's not very easy to go ahead and find these buyers. But as I mentioned, they do get a decent score. I gave them seven out of 10 because of the fact you have the bleed over from buyers to sellers and vice versa.
1: Yeah. And um, so pretty strong start, right? I mean, those are the two most important factors. Those add up to almost 60% of the total score. So really important that you have a strong start there. And um, well, so now let's go through the rest of the factors because they also certainly count. And product market fit being one that, of course, if you don't have it, then you're going nowhere. So what do you think about that?
0: Yeah, product market fit looks to be very good here. So part of it is we're looking from the outside in. I'm not a retailer, you're not a retailer, so we can only go based off of our instincts. But I went onto their site and began looking up different products, and I found they had a pretty good selection of the kinds of things that I might stock if I were running a store. It wasn't the case that you would look up something like sweaters and find one sweater. You'd look it up and find 27 different possible vendors and different products and SKUs. So I felt like they had done a good job of already getting pretty good selection Overall. And that's really the key measure of product market fit for a marketplace. It's the liquidity of the marketplace. How likely are you to find what you're looking for when you're a buyer? And it already seemed to be very good. Although, again, it could always be a little bit better. It still wasn't like an Amazon experience where you find hundreds of options. But in this case, you don't need hundreds of options. You just need a couple of pretty good ones. So we gave it a nine out of 10, which is very good for product market fit at a Series A stage.
1: Yeah. And from the seller's point of view, you know, what do you do to get your products in front of this diaspora of buyers? Well, it used to be you had to go to a trade show or ten. And so just getting your product out there in front of people was really hard. You just have to show up and stay in a hotel and all that. And, and so it's partly, I guess, a pandemic play here where something needed to happen to get product in front of, uh, of buyers. Buyers wanted new, interesting products. Sellers want to get their product out there. And so it's just a natural, uh, out, <clears throat> I guess, uh, the result of the pandemic that Anchor Stores had. Pro- I'm, I'm betting they've had a good year.
0: Oh, I guarantee they've had a good year. I also think that this is one of the interesting elements of pandemic dynamics. In many ways, the industries that are going to see the most permanent change as a result of the pandemic are the laggard industries. And the reason is those laggard industries, you had a bunch of conservative decision makers who are unwilling to go digital for legacy reasons they're old they're stodgy they're conservative and the pandemic has run roughshod over that it's made everyone realize oh my gosh we could actually have been doing this virtually the whole time and so those are the places where there is a permanent change and i suspect they're not going to go back to the old ways at least not a hundred percent so i think this is a good environment for anchor store and because of that the remaining things that we talk about market size gross margin organizational scalability operational scalability because this is a two-sided marketplace and it's dealing in one of the broadest possible product categories, wholesale retail, it gets a 10 out of 10 on each of those. I mean, that's top marks. That's a top score because it's a gigantic market and it's got phenomenal dynamics as a two-sided marketplace. So this is a company that's just incredibly exciting. It comes out at 82 out of 100. Remember, 80 out of 100 is the threshold for blitz scaling. So this is a company we really like.
1: And if they can figure out a way to more efficiently capture the buyers and the sellers and make that market as efficient as possible, uh, then you know the success. So really good effort by Anchor Store Day, and best of luck to them with their with their Series A. Just a reminder that we're doing all this with public information, right? We haven't gone in and asked the CEO. So how do you do this? How do you do that? So. In our process in Blitzscaling Ventures, that would be the next step is to go to the CEOs, explain who we are, how we want to help them grow, and then dig into the numbers and really understand the business at a much more granular level. And that way we can make an investment decision. So this is our first
0: screen, but in our first screen, Anchor Store crushes it. All right, moving on. Yes. So let's talk about another company that you mentioned, push party now push party is an interesting company it came up on our screen because it is officially a founders fund portfolio company and it is a social network but then we began digging a little deeper into push party so what push party does is this is an application where the only thing you can do is there's a single button you can push and if you push that button every single other person who has installed the application gets a push notification telling them that you pushed that button Now this is a parody. This is an actual joke. I'm surprised they didn't save it for April Fools it does have some interesting blitzscaling characteristics because you could argue it is winner take most. If you really want to be in on push party, you wanna to go to the place where you have the most people who've downloaded this app, it could be highly viral if you're telling people about it. But at the end of the day, it's just a joke because guess what, if this were successful, your phone would do nothing but vibrate constantly as people were pushing notifications, there's no communication. This is like yo, but push to an even greater level.
1: Yeah. And uh, I guess it's an intelligence test because it crossed the wire, just like every other deal. And so, you know, it's supposedly a seed investment from founders fund. Oh, we better pay attention to this one. Right. And uh, well, (laughs) it turns out that um, we're a little skeptical on product market fit and, and and perhaps market size. All right. So moving on, there's a company called fitter that I mentioned at the beginning, of course, and they're in India and they um, well, why don't you describe the app Chris?
0: So Fitter is interesting, and Fitter fits well with the next company on the list, Strava, as well, because they're both social networks that are based around fitness strava is primarily focused on running and sort of distance sports fitter is a little bit more around weightlifting. it used to be uh, it used to have a name that involved squats for example the founder is a fellow we actually personally know he participated in a boot camp where we were instructors and he is a very fit guy so quite impressive in that respect and he's built up this fitness social network in india where people are getting together they're communicating they're supporting each other they're finding coaches and this is pretty exciting uh there are a couple of reasons why it's exciting first of all Because it is a social network and a marketplace, those are two of our favorite business models. And those tend to produce really good results. So when it comes to a winner-take-most side, you have a social network, which has strong winner-take-most characteristics because of network effects. And you have a two-sided marketplace of coaches and People who are coaching clients, which is also very strongly a winner take most market with strong network effects. And then on the virality side, one of the things that you have happen is, of course, marketplaces don't always have the best viral growth or distribution, but combining a marketplace with a social network overcomes that potential weakness. The social network itself has incredible virality. So on those two accounts, both winner take most and viral growth and distribution. We gave fitter 10 out of 10, which is an awesome, awesome start. But Chris, our our listeners are saying there are hundreds of these.
1: So how could, you know, how could you be so excited about just this one?
0: Well, this is what it always boils down to. It is a question of getting to critical scale and then letting those wonderful network effects pull you along. In the case of Fitter, this is a fascinating thing. So the founder began this as a Facebook group of all things so he was just looking to get in shape and he started a Facebook group for people who are interested in getting in shape and this Facebook group just kept growing and growing and growing and eventually they launched this app and social network based off of the Facebook group with the Facebook group as the booster rocket if you will so by creating the biggest fitness Facebook group something he could do for free uh, Paid no infrastructure costs of any kind. He used that to really launch this and so he already has a leadership position. Uh, in fact, there are probably other products out there that are equivalent that have as good a functionality as Fitter in India, but what they lack is the audience that he's already built. And so, we often like to say at Blitzscaling Ventures that we're not betting on horses at the starting gate. We're betting on the racehorse after they've rounded a turn or two, and it's pretty clear they're the leader. And in the case of Fitter, they've been able to jump out to a major lead. The company has been very much in the press in India. The CEO and founder is now a celebrity in India. Sequoia has piled in with their seed product, Sequoia Surge. So, these are all great signs. They've built traction, they've built product market fit. And most importantly, Importantly, they built that lead.
1: Yeah. Okay. So um, let's look at the rest of the aspects of the business uh, quickly, and then move on to Strava, which is fitter, maybe fitter in uh, a couple of three years. But um, look, so product market fit. You know, that's got to be really good, or you're not going to remain the leader.
0: Yeah, the product market fit is pretty good. You have to achieve a certain level of product market fit. What we've heard from some of the folks we know who've used the product or, or dealt with the product is that the product itself is not insanely great. right? Sometimes their products are insanely great. This product is good enough. But when you have the lead, when you have the network effects on your side, good enough may very well be good enough to dominate the marketplace. So we gave it an 8 out of 10. So not great, but very good. Yeah.
1: What is is really good is the community, right?
0: Yes. They get an A in community
1: and maybe sort of a C in UX. So the user experience, which is a very fixable thing is not as good as it needs to be, but the community, which is really, really hard to create is really good. So that's, you know, that's why I think we're excited about the company. If it was the other way around, then, you know, we wouldn't be talking about it. All right. Market size.
0: Yeah. Market size is pretty good. So again, India is a bit of an emerging market here. Obviously, it's a huge market, world's largest country in terms of population, gigantic emerging middle class, a lot of issues around fitness. Uh, The South Asian genetic uh, makeup tends to make it more difficult in a modern life to actually live a long and healthy life. And so there's a lot of reasons why this would be a good market. But it's still very early, just not a lot of money being spent. So we're giving it an eight out of 10 as opposed to something higher. Again, good enough. And we'll see the total score later on ends up being plenty good enough to be blitz scalable, but not a truly unbounded market.
1: Yeah, I mean, you could probably make an argument that it is a really, really big market, but we're not going to make that argument just yet. We don't think we need to. And, you know, it's Chris is right. It's it's just a little too nascent and we'd like to see it mature into something mainstream before we up that number. But that has, I guess, the potential to rise from an eight uh, to get much higher.
0: Exactly. And we think about community platforms, for example, you know are there indian social networks that have then expanded out and taken over the rest of the world are there chinese social networks that have expanded and taken over the rest of the world the fact exactly. is because of the uh, the fact that english is the lingua franca because the united states is the single largest primarily english speaking market although of course india is english english speaking as well uh, it just happens to be the case that american companies tend to be the ones that globalize the most so it's dealing with a bit of a, a penalty there but Again, because the market is less crowded in some sense, it makes it easier for it to achieve this traction. So there's always trade-offs.
1: Yeah. So that brings up the question, you know, is, is there a sort of a regional winner take most? Right. I mean, it, if you win all of India, that's a pretty interesting market.
0: Oh, absolutely. Not, that, not, that is still a word. And winning all of India or winning all of China, even though you're regional, is still enough to be a hundred billion dollar plus company. So there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, it is the case, though, that, you know, the Engle- the Internet is fragmenting a bit, right? The Chinese language Internet does not overlap with the English language Internet. And there is even smaller little bits and pieces like the Spanish language Internet or even worse, the Russian language Internet. So there are there is fragmentation. I would still rather be in the U.S., in China or in India. So
1: you don't think that the internet's going to suddenly standardize on Finnish, for example?
0: Uh, you know, probably not. But you know, maybe in a couple of decades, we'll all be speaking Esperanto. <laughs> Dig out your Esperanto textbook now.
1: All right, I'll start working on that right away. Um, so gross margin, you know, they're monetizing. Um, they're well discuss the monetization and, and let's
0: yeah so you know there's classic levels of monetization here it's a social network social networks tend to be monetized through advertising which is a very high gross margin business there's also the marketplace business around the coaches and there should be good gross margins on that because you're basically acting as a marketplace or exchange as opposed to being the person hiring the fitness professionals yourself so all of these things lead to there being a 10 out of 10 on gross margin these are just business models that suit themselves to high gross margin
1: yes sir and then. That- and organizational scalability, I don't like the fact that these coaches are a gate to the growth of the company. And the, everybody knows that there is a very wide disparity between a good coach and a you know less good coach. And just like any sort of teaching profession, they're going to be awesome practitioners and they're going to be disappointments. And to get enough really great coaches is the real challenge for fitter that's to me the thing that's going to hold them back from scaling so i i i think half credit here five out of ten
0: yeah the good news for fitter is that because org scalability is not one of the essential elements of blitz scaling even that reduction takes it down a bit. The operations continues to be very high because again, social network and marketplace. And we end up with a total score of 88 out of 100, which is a very good score despite that five out of 10 on org scalability. And it makes this company very interesting. And of course, we are fortunate enough to personally know the founder and CEO. So stay tuned for what happens.
1: Yeah, now, so here comes a question, Chris, like organizational scalability, okay. So that in and of itself, but what happens when that limit blows back to the product market fit and the user experience and and lowers that score? Then you've got a real problem, right?
0: Yeah, and this is where some of the things that we discussed when we originally talked about this deal come into play. So first of all, It's a combination social network and marketplace. So the social network side is not inhibited by that org scalability problem. The second is the solution that I would apply in this case is to figure out, okay, can we use the ranks of our social network to actually begin developing more coaches? So the people who have emerged as natural leaders in the social network could potentially be persuaded to shift from being students to teachers. And you could imagine fitter coaches being another path for people who are interested in being a coach or a personal trainer to really come up and build a reputation and get there. So now all of a sudden you're creating your own coach supply. And that is A, addressing the problem and B, giving you this huge competitive advantage over anyone else who tries to do the same thing. So there are ways to potentially even turn this to its advantage.
1: Yes. And that is a great example of using the scaling framework to understand what it's, is a challenge in this in this in the strategic and long-term uh challenges for the company like just really understand those and therefore what you should be doing today to make sure that that's not going to hold you back from scaling in the future i think if you're just running the business and not thinking about that it feels like there are plenty of coaches around that are really good but you 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 exponentially grow and then suddenly that becomes a real problem and if you haven't prepared for that problem in advance then you're really going to hit the wall. So uh, I, I I get excited about that. Sorry, I, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll calm down now. And let's talk about
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's great when we find a company with such great characteristics that has only done a seed run where we personally know the CEO. That doesn't happen a lot. So I think the excitement is warranted.
1: Okay. All right. All right. Now, so part of the excitement is because there is a success case in the U.S. called Strava, that you know, there were many called and very few chosen for the leadership position in the social physical social workout challenge sort of world. And Strava won, and you know they did a Series F, 110 million. Sequoia's in the deal. Um, you've got tech, TCB Technology Crossover Ventures, a very very prominent growth stage investor, and. This one, you, you, I guarantee you, if you're listening to this, then you know somebody who's using Strava. You might not use it yourself, but if you have a workout friend, and most of us do, that's going to be somebody who knows about this app and kind of loves it. Uh, I, I hear about this socially all the time. People are way into this app, and they're in, you know, like, oh, this guy over here just did a hundred mile run in 15 minutes, and I got to beat that, and it just gets the competitive juices flowing. And it's a highly efficient marketplace for finding people to be to, to sort of game the workout uh, with. And it's, uh, it's just got a powerful network effect. And so we're, you know, that's why we're talking about it. Usually we only talk about companies that are Series A, Series B, you know, a little earlier as they're emerging. Strava is a Series F. They've raised a lot of capital and they are the, definitely the leader. This isn't rounding the second term, they're rounding the, the, the third term and heading for home here. Um, but it's, 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 a, it's a company that uh, does score very high. So it's definitely worth talking about. Yeah.
0: So, and in terms of the scoring, I mean, it's easier to say what they didn't get a 10 on than it is to go through the scoring process. And if we go through the list, because it is a social network and because it is focused on fitness in a very particular demographic, again, in social network, it's 10 out of 10 on winner take most 10 out of 10 on viral growth as Scott described it just try to not hear about Strava from a Strava user. Uh, That's probably a bigger challenge than getting them to talk about it because believe me, they're talking about it. Product market fit, the people who use it are absolutely addicted. This is something that is a cornerstone of your life. It's incredible. Gross margins, org scalability, ops scalability. This is all social network, 10 out of 10 out of 10 out of 10. The only thing that keeps Strava from from being a perfect blitz scaling business is the market size. And this is one of those examples of trade-offs. So Strava is so valuable because it focuses on this very particular market, the endurance athlete market. And the endurance athlete market is very wealthy, relatively speaking, has a high propensity to spend. These are all the reasons why it's a good business. But that also means it's only of a certain size. There just isn't a thing where 90% of people are going to do it. You look around in the United States, you go to any Walmart and look around, clearly these people are not Strava users. So it is a bit of a niche, but it is a fantastically profitable niche.
1: So you're saying that, uh, that endurance athletics are highly correlated with economic success. So do you think we should, we should in the U S just have policy towards making everybody become an endurance athlete and not make them all go to college?
0: You know, I think if we started doing these correlations, we would probably see a better correlation with that than with education. So, yeah, I think that if you could somehow get everyone to just start running and biking and <laughs> doing all these things, that would be great. And by the way, even though people spend a lot of money on this stuff, I mean, my God, every endurance athlete friend I know spends God ungodly amounts of money on their gear, their wearables, their shoes, and so on and so forth. At the end of the day, all you need to go distance running is ground and shoes. And sometimes if you're a barefoot runner, you don't even need shoes. So theoretically, this is something everyone should be able to do. Well, it's a, the overall fitness market is very big in the US. So we didn't give them a zero on
1: market size. No, no, no. So their overall score adds up to 95 and remember 80 is a great score. 95 is a very unusual score. We usually, we see those only in things with uh, great virality and, and, and it's usually a social network that scores above 90. And once again, we see a social network at
0: 95.
1: And, and so this is a business that we wish we'd seen a couple of years ago. Um,
0: and it, but we may have seen it a couple of years ago in its uh, sort of reflection in Fitter, which is why, again, we were so excited about Fitter. Like you said, Strava is the success case for what something Fitter could evolve into.
1: Yeah. And it's great to have a success case to model after. You never want to copy something exactly because your market's a little different and your product's a little different. But there's always a lot of learning that can come from having a competitor in another country that's way ahead, particularly if it's in the US, which is such a big and tough market to win.
0: Uh, Okay, so
1: those are the companies we wanted to talk about today.
0: Yes, but we still need to cover one quick thing, which is the IPO market, because you mentioned it at the beginning, the two contrasting companies, DoorDash and Airbnb. Now, the reason we bring them up is because both these companies are actually described and talked about in the book Blitzscaling. Airbnb is one of the central examples. And I think both Reed and I feel very good about the fact that Airbnb is very successfully IPO. It looks like it's on track to be a $100 billion company. And that certainly is great for the predictions we make. And blitz scaling, as well as for Reed, since he's the lead series A lead investor. So chalk up another couple billion dollars in returns for Greylock as a result. But in our book, we specifically say we question the blitz scalability of food delivery. Where DoorDash has just been able to go public is worth, you know, many tens of billions of dollars. And the question is, what's going on here? Were you wrong about food delivery? And my response to that is no. What we see here is the fascinating example of something that Professor Scott Galloway described in his pivot podcast, which is he said, DoorDash is a company that is going public because of the pandemic, and Airbnb is a company that is going public despite the pandemic. DoorDash's uh, business has increased by leaps and bounds because people are not able to eat in restaurants and so doordash is the way that people have actually turned to get their food so they actually remarkably enough have gotten their their numbers have improved in terms of revenues in terms of margins in terms of everything but you got to ask yourself are people going to continue doing this and it's not just a question of the consumer behavior it's a question of the restaurant behavior On the consumer behavior side, will people shift to a takeout culture and will they continue to stick with DoorDash? Well, I believe there will be some shift to a takeout culture in the same way you see it in a a city like New York City. But I don't think that it's necessarily going to be redound purely to DoorDash's benefit. DoorDash has a major competitor, Uber Eats. Uber has made food delivery a huge part of their network as well. There is very little competitive advantage or sustainable competitive advantage to scale in food delivery. There's no loyalty. The restaurants don't stick with one or the other unless you pay them. And then finally, when it comes to the restaurant side, the restaurants themselves are not necessarily that keen on this model. So they are, of course, doing it because they need to stay afloat. They're paying rents, and if they don't find some way to generate revenues right now, they're just stuck paying rents out of savings or shutting down their restaurants. So of course, they're going to go along with this takeout strategy, but the takeout strategy destroys the restaurant business model. The whole point of the restaurant business model is you have an in-person place where you can actually charge premium amounts, especially for alcohol, and where there is a whole tipping-based system, at least in the United States, that helps compensate say for the low wages, for the servers. And none of this works in takeout. In takeout, you're paying for expensive real estate where all you really need is a ghost kitchen. And it just doesn't make sense in the long run for places that are not dominoes or a ghost kitchen, which is effectively the same thing, to operate as a takeout business. So I think there's going to be a massive retrenchment after the pandemic recedes.
1: Yeah, just just to sort of knock them down even, even further. I I think it's fine when you're trying to hire people to deliver stuff to other people in a pandemic when everyone's out of work, not everyone, but a lot of people have been displaced. And so you sign up at DoorDash and you get some income, uh, that's gonna go away. And so the the thing I dislike the most about Uber and uh, about any of these companies where you have to hire a lot of gig workers is you have to hire a lot of gig workers and to grow you need to keep hiring and hiring and hiring and that has always been a huge challenge for these companies when labor markets get tight it's really really hard and right now labor markets are not tight so everything is going great at that uh, at, at these companies but boy i really don't like the prospects down the road when labor tightens back up and you have a ton of churn and so the quality of your delivery people goes down And by the way, my favorite sushi restaurant, which, you know, is a little further away than I'd like, I wish I could get delivery, but they said, nah, we're not doing it anymore. And so you got to go there and pick it up.
0: And I just want to also add, again, while we are bashing the business model of DoorDash, I don't want to bash the company per se. By all accounts, the founder and the team there have done a phenomenal job of execution. This is a crowded space. So many different people tried to take this on. And so many different people have tried to take this on for years and years and years and years. And they're the ones who succeeded at becoming the market leader. They had phenomenal execution. They've done a great job of building a business. They're able to go public at a valuation in tens of billions of dollars. That is not something to be scoffed at that's really impressive we just don't believe that it is a blitz scaling company where they're going to achieve dominant market leadership and keep it for decades and print money along the way
1: yeah so the 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 first instance of this was Webvan, which was back in 1999 it got a lot of money uh, I think NEA was a big lead investor there. I can't, I can't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure that's true. Anyway, so they tried to sort of create a business right before the whole bubble burst and that went away. But there, this has been an idea that's been out there for a long time. And these guys became the leader and pulled it off. And that's really hard. And is a great achievement, but it's just not as good as Airbnb.
0: Yeah. with And again, part of this is if you think about what happens with DoorDash, What are you doing? You are exploiting human desperation. You have restaurants that don't want to do takeout but have to do it because of the pandemic. You have drivers that want a real job but cannot get one because of the economic circumstances and therefore will do DoorDash deliveries for the equivalent of half of minimum wage. So these are not things that are necessarily sustainable or good in the long run. Instead, Airbnb, you have something where people have an asset. They're utilizing that asset. It's not, as Scott Galloway puts it, leveraging human misery. Instead, it's leveraging an asset that's not being used. And so it's just much more sustainable over time. Again, DoorDash and its team has done a phenomenal job of execution. It's fantastic. The joke I made before the... IPOs happen is both of them priced at around $40 billion market cap. And I said, one of the easiest things you could possibly do is to go long Airbnb and go short DoorDash because in a year, DoorDash will be below $20 billion in market cap and Airbnb will be above $100 billion. I just didn't realize that Airbnb would probably be heading for $100 billion in, in a matter of a month as opposed to a year.
1: Yeah. uh, To have a a company that really depends on travel do this well in the public markets was hard to predict, but this is what happened. And so that, I guess that's a testament to the um, farsightedness perhaps, or the, uh, maybe it's just a testament to the fact that people are willing to pay a lot for tech IPOs these days. And we'll see, there might be some volatility ahead of us.
0: Yeah. And again, it also reinforces the message, which is, Blitz scaling, while people talk about it as being risky, if you're pulling it off, it's a lot less risky. When you dominate a market, an important, valuable market, it doesn't matter what the short term market gyrations are. In the long run, you're going to be worth a colossal pile of money because you have a dominant market position of leadership and no one can take away from you. And that's always going to be valuable.
1: All right. That's a great note to end on. So um, I'm out of ideas. Chris, anything else you want to say?
0: Now, Scott, as always, it's been fantastic having you on. I am looking forward to examining the December deals in the new year 2021, where hopefully we will be turning the leaf on this extremely turbulent year and heading towards good things. I have been predicting that 2021 is going to end up at least towards the end of the year as being a tremendous boom as all this pent up demand gets released. And I personally am looking forward to it and we'll be chronicling it right here on this podcast.